right here in number seven, I want to say one thing about the Moravian brethren and Count Zinzendorf. And, of course, this goes back not to England, but to uh, the middle of Europe where Moravia was. And and uh, right here was a little group of Christians, and they were under the leadership of, of a count whose name was Zinzendorf. He was a real genuine brother. And, and they recovered quite a bit of truth and so forth, and it was quite a thing, but they had an ugly thing among them, and that was opinions which led to bitter divisions. And, you know, they knew the word too well, and they were not balanced by the fact that they had to be one about it. And so they could not have the blessing. But they had a lot of information and knowledge and a lot of teaching and so forth. You know what happened? Count Zinzendorf had the authority among them. And he, he wrote down a contract. And he made every person, you know, that was anybody in that group that represented anything significant, he made them sign that contract that they would now be one and drop anything that caused any kind of division among them. And that when that contract was signed, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they had a revival in Moravia, the likes of which has never happened since. And that is a bright spot in the middle of Europe, in the middle of this time period, that uh, just sticks out in church history. You know what the lesson of that one is? Oneness. Whatever you do, be one. Okay, then we have number 12, Count Nicholas Zinzendorf. Don mentioned him. Let me just tell you a few more of the facts about him. Uh, he was royal. He lived in, what again, Bohemia. And by the age of 15, he could read the New Testament in Greek. By this time, the New Testament was available to people. He was fluent in Latin and French. And... Uh, he took a journey around Europe when he was 20 years old. You know, he was kind of royal, and, and they did that kind of stuff. And he saw a picture there, one of these pictures, you know, of Jesus or something like that. And underneath the picture, there was a, a something was written, and it said, I, it was Jesus on the cross, that's what it was. And it said, I have done this for you. What have you done for me? That was under the picture. And Zinzendorf was very touched by this and asked himself, the Lord died for me. What have I done for him? Have I done anything for him? And this began his struggle with the matter of consecration. And eventually he realized, I have to give my life to the Lord. He's 20 years old now. Anyway, eventually, because he was wealthy, he was able to start this, this uh, kind of a community. And he was very sympathetic with the persecuted believers at this time. All over Europe, they were persecuted. In England, they were persecuted. In Germany, they were persecuted. Different kind of believers, these nonconformists, these dissenting groups. Quakers and whatnot, Anabaptists. And so a group of the Moravian brethren traced back to the Hussites. They came and said, would you let us stay on your estate? Would you give us refuge? Because he was a count, so he, they could, he could protect them. They said, yeah. He said, yes. And that began this, what became known as the Hernhut, or the Lord's Watch. And he took in these, these persecuted believers. Well, as Don shared last night, they started fighting each other over doctrines. But he was a count, and so eventually he was disgusted with this fighting, and he was very impressed with Romans 14 about, you know, we have to receive all the believers, and John 17 about the Lord's prayer for oneness. So he insisted. He, he 
made a, a, a document, and this was called the Brotherly Agreement. And they all had to sign it, and it said they're going to quit fighting. And they all signed it. And so after they all signed it, uh, history says that on August 13th, 1727, they had their first communion or Lord's Table meeting after this was signed. And this was an experience of kind of a second Pentecost. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit because of the oneness. The oneness. They dropped their fighting doctrines and all this stuff, and it brought in. And then, by uh, just one year later, there were over 300 people living there, 22 different languages spoken. And, uh, and then, the next year, they began a 24-hour prayer watch. In other words, the people in the community signed up to pray at certain hours of the day, around the clock, praying for the Lord's move on this earth and praying for the lost people in other parts of the world. They begin to be burdened for the lost in India. And at this time, there was very little missionary work anywhere in the world. But they begin praying 24 hours a day. This prayer went on for over 65 years. They prayed 24 hours a day. And they sent out the first missionaries. They went out from this group of Moravian brethren. And they were touched because they ran into a slave from St. Thomas in the Caribbean. And this man told them of the agony of the slaves and that nobody knew Christ down there. And so two of the Moravian brethren, I don't know whether he got his freedom or ran away, but two of the Moravian brethren decided, we're going to go. They were young people, these two, that wanted to go. One was like a carpenter and one was a brick mason. And they said, we're going to go to, to the Caribbean. And they were told, the only way you can be among the slaves, only one way, you have to become a slave. And they, they agreed. They will sell themselves into slavery. So they went to St. Thomas the Island. They didn't actually have to sell themselves into slavery, but they began to preach the gospel to the slaves. This is one of the first missionary works that we have a, a clear record of. Okay, anyway, quite a work. And this man... Uh, when he began that community, he was 25 years old. Young man.